This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Elizabeth Salomon, CFO of Exactly, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 635. We're in the fortunate but also tricky situation that historically we've doubled or more than doubled revenue over basically every year of our history. I continue to invest in a team. I continue to invest in automation and systems. I'm actually accelerating hiring at this point and I'm getting contentful ready for being a public company in a couple of years. That is sort of a North Star. It doesn't mean that we will go public, but a North Star that I'm instilling in my team because the quality of financials, the quality of insights, the quality of processes I want to see, see us have is that of a public company. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Marcus Harder, CFO of Contentful, a content management technology company. To date, Marcus has had a number of CFO tours of duty. He first entered the finance realm via investment banking at Morgan Stanley. Along the way, he was a vice president of finance at SoundCloud. Inside increasing numbers of enterprise firms, content management platforms are being adopted. We speak to Marcus about the opportunity and much, much more after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Marcus Harder, CFO of Contentful. Marcus, welcome. Thanks for having me. Marcus, we're going to begin where we always do, which is to have you look back for us and identify some of the experiences and share them with us that you feel prepared you for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? I'd like to name three. One is the banker, one's the parent, and one is the PhD. So I started my career in investment banking in London with Morgan Stanley. What I loved about that job, I, I probably could have kept on going forever in that job, was really the fundraising, the high speed, the pressure, the M&A processes, 
but also that rigor that I learned, the financial modeling, the board quality presentations, and the general strategic insights you needed to generate for your for your customers really gave me a solid tool set that made me feel confident to be able to interact with the various stakeholders I'm now interacting with. Um, I got to interact with C-levels at various companies over my time there. Um, I got to look into the capital markets and I got a broad understanding of companies' activities. So banking, I think for me, was a really good educational step toward becoming a CFO. Can I ask, where did you study originally then, Marcus? Yeah, so I studied uh, business and economics at a, a German university called WHU. Um, it's a small program purely focused on business studies. And um, so doing internships is like the big thing, part of part of your curriculum. So I did internships at large industrial sites. I did one at Mercedes-Benz. I did one at a... Uh, startup actually, a startup that later on I again joined somebody uh, at Contentful who who actually recruited me, Contentful uh, CMO Chris Schagenbeck. I was his intern at this startup in 2000. But then I also did some banking internships and I figured, okay, I love finance, I love banking. That's really something I could get into. Okay, yeah. So forgive me, we're we're still in the banking chapter. The next, uh, I believe you said, was the parent chapter. Yeah. And obviously many of us are parents. And so that's definitely not a distinctive thing. But my wife and I, we have three wonderful kids and we both try to share um, in them, uh, bringing them up in supporting them in their development and helping them figure out the world. Yeah, And I do th strongly believe that this has made me a better leader, a much more active listener. And um, it also helps me stay calm and balanced when the fires pop up everywhere around me. So um, I hope that my team also feels that. I find my team are my children. Yeah? I want them to be successful. I want them to help and, and, uh, and help them develop. I want them to develop both as a person as well as a professional. Lastly, the PhD experience is something quite um, different. I actually left banking. I thought that I needed to do something to prove myself that I could do it. And banking was 280-20 for me. You could never really finish something up fully. You always needed to rush into the next big deal. And I wanted to really dedicate my time to one topic and one topic only and show that I could take that topic forward. So I did something in the real options um, space. And um, doing that was actually quite a humbling experience because everyone around me was much smarter. They were doing deep work, totally focused. The PhD room in Cambridge where I did the PhD was dead silent yeah you could hear a pen drop like 95 percent of the time and i always found myself like i wanted to cheer them up i wanted to interact with them which some people appreciate and others didn't so i actually but but i also appreciate started appreciating that need for deep work that for example our engineers now at contentful need to do and want to do and they don't want to be bothered by meetings throughout the day so we have a focus friday where no meetings get scheduled we we, uh, we give people time to really switch off because of such experiences. And, but I also learned something about myself. Yeah, Doing a PhD was extremely lonely. I could interact maybe with two, three people, not necessarily even at my university, but around the world about my topic. Like uh, it was a lonely struggle um, that I could only get out of whenever I did something else. Yeah. So I, I got into teaching. I loved 
being the, a teacher. So I helped teach some MBA and some executive MBA classes at Cambridge um, in management science, which is the UK term for basically operations research. And um, I loved the energy the MBA students brought. I loved their experience, their real world experience that they brought um, to the classroom. And I, for myself, decided that yeah, you're going to definitely finish this this PhD thing, but that's not your career. You're not going to be an academic. You want to go back into the business world. And so I joined a startup. Joining a startup meant I could take a ton of responsibility, fast-growing environment. I could interact with many people on so many topics and um, especially in areas that still needed to be figured out. Yeah, So a blank sheet and you could just make an impact. I want to point out one company on your your bio, which is a rather intriguing company, a SoundCloud. I'm in the land of audio, so I know SoundCloud quite well. Uh, can you tell us anything about That's that right. experience? Did you enter uh, SoundCloud as a finance executive, or was there a different role? Yeah, um, I was. I made the jump from the prior company that was the first one that I um, helped grow in, in Berlin, which was Zalando, which you may also know it's a public company by now, a uh, very successful European e-commerce platform. Um, and SoundCloud is very, very dear to my heart. It's um, We developed something with a vision that was at first not really focused on making money. It was a product for the creators. Um, the creators always came first. The listeners always came very, very early before even thinking about making money. The labels did not necessarily come early. And so they were they were holding us in a strangle at some point saying, you need to cut deals with us um, because you need to monetize. So um, the, the very interesting learning experience, and I actually didn't plan on speaking about SoundCloud today, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll let you in on that, is um, we needed to figure out our business model fast. Like we had the option between getting lit litigated off this earth or striking a deal and making a run for the money. And so we struck deals. It always took, took longer than you expected um, with massive commitments to major labels um, and to the rest of the music industry. And we needed to figure out a monetization program and thought we would be able to do one similar to the likes of a Spotify. And um, it was tough. We had a massive user base of people who were used to not paying. We had a, a stable, steady income a slowly growing creator subscription base, but the the listener subscriptions, that business that Spotify had occupied already was tough and had figured out its unit economics and its channels um, was tough to get in. And um, so, yeah, one of, one of those big learnings is like you got in head over heels, you didn't have a chance, but like, I don't like I revisit the ups and downs that we had with SoundCloud and there were big, big ups, but also big downs, as you might know, if you followed, like we had to restructure, um, we had to do mass layoffs at one point. I, I revisit that many times and at every single decision point, I'm not sure that we would take a different, different uh, direction possibly a bit more strict around monetization and sacrificing user experience. But we were caught between a rock and a hard place often. Interesting. You're still, you're still learning from those uh, decisions, uh, still cross-examining yourself as well, it sounds like. So 
great chapter to share with us. Now we're going to jump forward to Contentful, and I get to ask you sort of a, a sweeping question. Tell us about Contentful. What does it do and what are its offerings? Contentful is a pioneer and global leader in headless content management systems. We offer a next-generation content platform, which enables builders, and that can be developers, designers, content creators, to create and deliver digital experiences for any channel or device. So think of your website or mobile app, but also of your intranet or knowledge base. All of these channels need content, and the right content in the right language at the right point in time in the right form to appeal to the consumer of that content. So with Contentful, you get a highly scalable, easy to organize, powerful content hub that integrates seamlessly with hundreds of other tools through open APIs. Can you give us a, a hypothetical of someone using your offerings to uh, populate their, their, uh, their social channels or what have you? How does it work? Give us a illustration. So-and-so would do this type of thing. Totally. So I can I can also speak quite concretely because um, they, they agreed to that we can talk about it. Um, there's a, a large Canadian telecommunications company called TELUS. And um, in the beginning, they took the free offering on, of Contentful, tried out a couple of things and saw that they could actually build landing pages quite well. And so they then purchased a small subscription um, and they used it to power some of their landing pages around the Samsung S8. Um, later on, they powered more landing pages, like for the Apple iPhone. And when, when the iPhone X came out, there was a 15-minute a, a window where the, everyone was allowed to only go live with the new iPhone offering at exactly one moment in time. Yeah, that's sort of an Apple embargo. At 3.05 Canadian time, TELUS went live, Contentful went live, all the demand came to the site. Not the Apple Store, neither any of the competitors managed to go live right at 3.05 because their systems were down or not launched on time. And Contentful really stood up to the test of um, delivering large amounts of content, going from zero to 100, like a race car, and being able to, to deliver web pages after web pages of content to the the uh, users who wanted to browse the content offering and the details of of that so th that's one of the main use cases so contentful is mainly used for people to power websites yeah. but the nice thing is you don't only power websites you can also use the content to power your ios app you're developing the chatbot you're thinking about the iot integration so you would probably put different type of content pieces of, uh, into, into those offerings, but you would source them from one central source of truth for content. So you step into the CFO role there. Now tell us, are you, were you the first CFO for Contentful, first chief financial officer, or was. Uh, was there someone yes. for you? Yes. You were. So this company has opened a new chapter of growth where they bring in senior executives and C-suite members like the CFO. A little bit about your priorities as you arrive there. What What is it that you want to get into place? And again, you've been there since 2017 now, so this is a good time to touch base. What What have you done over that, that period? Yeah. yeah, so I came in after uh, Contentful has, had closed its Series B um, with Benchmark as the main investor. Um, and I came in to lead or build the finance function, and what I inherited was an operations team. That operations team did everything from workplace to in-house IT, to data analytics, to Salesforce development, to HR, 
and maybe a bit of finance here or there if we maybe found time. So we had an actual accounting firm that helped us with the day-to-day accounting. So there were no burning fires, but try to get any insights out of that. Um, it was tricky. So for my personal experience set and taste, probably I went a bit too early stage um, for compared to where my actual strengths lay. But um, I basically spent my first year um, figuring out all the things that didn't work or would break soon. Yeah. So it basically started with the founder, Sasha, one of the two founders um, telling me, hey, we've actually just founded a US company, Contentful Inc. Um, we've also hired some people there, but can you now go out and figure out how these two companies, Contentful Inc. and GmbH should actually interact? We don't have any intercompany agreements. We don't have any transfer pricing. Oh, and by the way, our stock option program also doesn't work for US employees. So please uh, do that part. So there was a lot of admin and uh, back office, back end work that was difficult to see from the outside until you then had a shiny new stock option program that I'm quite proud of. It's a virtual program because in Germany and a German GmbH, that's what you typically do. But making that work for a global employee base is not that easy. And um, the other thing was, okay, we're after a fundraise, but after a fundraise is before the fundraise. Yeah, And I knew the next set of investors wouldn't invest into Contentful based on product vision only or very high level numbers. So in those early innings, we only had very limited insight into our unit economics or margin structures. So I needed to get that house in order as well and invest. And I basically brought on great people that really helped me professionalize the function and were able to partner with the business. So what types of business dynamics are you looking to measure today? What is it? What part of the business are you really watching closely? Yeah, for us, growth-focused initiatives take center stage still. Yeah, we have a product with a very clear focus and a large vision, and the TAM is massive. It spans basically the web content management market and the enterprise content management market. So the one is the outside-facing websites, apps, wearables, whatever, and the enterprise content management market is sort of the intranets, knowledge bases, learning platforms. So combine those two uh, TAMs and you have a massive TAM. Um, But for me, therefore, the focus is on pipeline generation, sales capacity planning, net dollar retention mechanisms of our products. We have a subscription-based product. So that already uh, allows me to sleep quite well because today's revenue is probably going to be smaller than tomorrow's revenue just because we keep our customers who are quite happy with us and we have a very, very sticky product. And then we're adding new ones or we're expanding the existing ones. Um, And we want to become much more granular uh, in our understanding of our business and the different products we offer and how we can continue investing in growth. Curious about uh, your pipeline. This is uh, an interesting space, the content space, let's call it. And do you think the behavior of customers in the pipeline is a little different from other industries? Um, Is there any, uh, would you characterize things for us to do, do, uh, Customers tend to behave differently in this realm or no, there are a lot of similarities. I would often draw a comparison between content management systems to CRM systems like Salesforce or ERP systems like NetSuite, but also the bigger ones, Oracle, SAP, and so forth. You're basically talking about an area of a business 
uh, of a, where a company invests for the long term. You don't easily rip and replace a CMS. So that also means once you're in, you're probably going to be in for a relatively long period of time. Yeah. So I typically, when I talk to investors about customer lifetime value, I just cut it somewhere because if I just do one divided by churn, I get into double digit years of lifetime. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe let's not over, over, overstate um, this here because who knows how, how the world looks like in 10, 15 years. Um, but the power therefore lies in, in the detail and dissecting how your ARR, your annual recurring revenue really works. Yeah. The additions, the components of how, how do people buy? Why do they buy? How do they buy more? Um, do we have churn? Why do we have churn? Um, why are our strategic ex accounts expanding at a different rate and using us more um, than other accounts? And what can we do to help the business develop the right features, take the right decisions, market to the to the best uh, um, companies that we don't yet have as customers. Is there a sort of a critical size company that uh, finally experiences enough pain to say, hey, we really need to get a content management component in place here to operate more effectively? I, I would think uh, you just compared it to some of these other software applications. I, I would think it's similar. There. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally, Jack. Um, many people start with uh, smaller CMS offerings. You can easily launch something on WordPress. Yeah, the the barrier to entry is quite low. Um, or just try to build a website from scratch by hand. I'm not sure who still does that, building HTML or PHP pages by by hand. But you can certainly do it. Our customer basis, our ideal customer is typically a large Fortune 500 customer, but we do cater also to smaller and fast growing businesses. Yeah, So we even have a free offering where developers, you need to be quite technically savvy, yeah? um, can launch their own uh, blog or, or do their own work and, and they love it. But we typically have that offering to also support the ecosystem. Yeah, we have a large pro bono offering. We do a lot of CSR activities and, and really try to support the community. Um, but also to have that developer from large corporation um, who does their private side project on the free Contentful version to then advocate for us, uh, for them using Contentful in their main product. So more often these days, we come in and start as a side gig in one of those corporations. And typically they already have five to seven different CMSs running and they're all the content is always siloed and never in the right place where you need it for whatever you're trying to achieve. So Contentful then comes in on the side somewhere, um, has a smaller use case and uh, next moment you'd know is we're powering their .com website uh, because the internal teams, the developers, the, the editors, find Contentful's usage and ease of integration so much better. And then the rip and replace of those individual CMSs starts. So a CIO, a chief information officer on a digital transformation path would choose Contentful as one of the solutions in a tech stack that they are trying to, to build um, in order to move the company forward digitally. So uh, just curious as to 
uh, your lines of sight into the pipeline. Uh, are you making the progress you want there? I, I would have, and we have this conversation with so many finance leaders who seem to be trying to measure and understand the behaviors of customers in that pipeline. And they're coming up with ways to, to extend their lines of sight and understand better. Does that characterize your world right now or not necessarily? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, we're in the fortunate but also tricky situation that historically we've doubled or more than doubled revenue over basically every year of our history. And that brings challenges toward pipeline generation because if you want to double revenue again, you need to have a massively bigger pipeline. So we are doing more with existing customers. Our existing customers have certain requirements that today we can't fulfill. So how do we get them uh, to uh, be successful in all those things they want to do? Um, we in, we have just relaunched our partner program. Yeah, So oftentimes Contentful gets implemented through a large partner who is either specialized in building web presences or uh, building workflows for the customer without touching any internal uh, user interfaces and so forth. So um, you can think of the Accentures and Capgeminis of this world or uh, Razorfish and the, or, or, or they're huge. Uh, there are certain, certain marketing agencies that use Contentful. So you're, we're trying to work more with partners, enable them to be more educated with how to best implement Contentful. We're investing a lot in enablement and training and coaching. So the, the learning materials about Contentful are out there, are heavily downloaded. We have a Contentful certification. So if you are a developer, you can actually graduate with a Contentful diploma. And um, we, we try to be industry agnostic such that our solution really works for a broad variety of, of customers, though. Yeah. So we're interested. We've been asking finance leaders how uh, COVID and across, uh, of course, the environment now that's out there, uh, how they responded to this environment. And uh, I, I'm curious in, in two ways. I'm, I'm curious about uh, how uh, Contentful, uh, how it quickly responded to the situation. Also, uh, how this space uh, what does it mean for content management of this type of environment more broadly um so just to begin with maybe you can just share with us how how contentful responded yeah, as a management team we monitored the situation from very early on we were one of the we have two hubs a berlin hub and a san francisco hub and we were one of the first companies to completely shut down our offices early march we went fully remote um we stopped all travel um we supported our employees through that transition. We offered them a monthly stipend such that they could purchase um, home office equipment or a better internet connection, um, moved all our processes um, online. We have already had quite a couple of people working remote um, such that we are used to that, but being fully remote is quite something different. Yeah. Also as a CFO, I worried obviously about our targets and about our investor communication. So we did a big replan exercise. We ran through a wide range of scenarios, um, wanted to really understand how we could manage the company, assuming different economic outcomes. Yeah, Nobody, not even now, knows how this economic recovery is really going to pan out. Um, but then another thing was that we filled the gas tanks. Yeah, So 
for ourselves. Um, we we knew that some of our existing investors um, were very eager to put more money to work with at Contentful pre-COVID. You know, that was discussions we had end of 2019. We didn't need money back then, and we thought that we'd do a comfortable fundraise later this year, early next year. But then COVID hit, and um, I'm actually quite grateful to our new CEO, Steve, who pushed me and said, we need to get money in now. Yeah, You don't know how long this lasts. And I'm like, oh, man, no, not, not another fundraise. Give me a couple more uh, months to figure out our NetSuite implementation and a couple of internal projects. But he said, no, it, now is the time. So we went back to them, and um, Sapphire, who were our lead investor in Series D, um, stated that they would uphold the terms that they had indicated to us pre-COVID. They, they they stuck with us through the entirety of the of the process. There was never any doubt that they would retrade or that they would um, take us for a ride. So I would say we were lucky to have high quality investors that stick to their work word um, and that we obviously had a very strong recurring revenue business. So you asked how how were we affected by COVID? We thought we would be affected and parts of our business were because we do have uh, customers in the travel or the hospitality uh, business and they are hurting and, and we're seeing some recovery in some areas. But then we also have customers in digital businesses that do extremely well. Plus, look at some brick and mortar uh, businesses. They needed to figure out digital fast. So... Contentful, as I mentioned earlier, is a CIO's digital transform tool within a digital, digital transformation strategy. And these laggards or later majority type companies are now starting to come to the table and are evaluating us. And, and so for us, um, net COVID is never a good thing, but for us, net, this has been a catalyst of, of digital transformation that we can play a very active role in. And you mentioned uh, Sapphire. Was that what was the time frame that uh, the investors came back and said, "No, we want to, you know, we want to support you now"? Uh, was that was that May, June, or when was? That? No. Well, we started the discussions in March when we when we decided we'll lock down the offices. So it was quite early in in COVID times. Um, as a German fundraise, typically you can add a couple of weeks relative to a U.S. fundraise. So it all takes time until until the, the T's are crossed and the notaries are happy and uh, we, we have everything in, in the bank. But um, the majority of work happened in March and April. You, you mentioned uh, scenario planning, uh, anticipating what would be the worst versus, uh, you know, if things rebound it more swiftly. Uh, can you give us a sense of what some of the scenarios might have been like? Yeah, so, and I also attended a, a CFO round table, virtual round table where like 40 or so Silicon Valley CFOs participated. And that was quite a bit of a topic on, on there. Like, how do you now actually plan, plan for this? Because it is a black swan type event. And um, we had some speakers in there who'd been through a couple of other crises um, before. And Basically, a couple of things were, yeah, get your sheep in the drive, fill up the gas tanks, um, make sure you plan for a wide range of scenarios. Never assume the business will just come back to normal levels quickly. Whatever is coming out at the other side will look different. But if you have a business model that somewhat remains strong, now is also the time to continue to invest. 
Now is the time where you can build a strategic advantage and exit such a such a um, uh, recession on a strong foot. And a classic example is Salesforce in the 2007, 2008 um, banking crisis, where they really stepped almost stepped on the gas pedal once they had figured out, okay, they are not as much affected. So our scenarios, uh, you asked, they were they were ranging from, okay, this is an L-shaped recovery, never really coming back. So at, at what point, the question then is, at what point is our business affected to a level that we would need to take more tough, tougher decisions? Yeah, um, We never took this as one of our, our plans that we would actively uh, engage in at this point and would have had a lot of monitoring points before we would have triggered such a L-shaped recovery type plan, or some people call it a break glass plan. Um, we were more in this, is it a V-shaped or is it a U-shaped type recovery for uh, for the economy, but also for us? And um, are we already seeing some lights or uh, some indicators why we would not be as much affected? So, um, but yeah, take your plan down. Don't overpromise anything for the time being. And um Make sure you have sufficient runway to get get out of this in whatever shape or form this recovery ends. We're going to jump to what we refer to as our uh, finance strategic moment, and this might have been any time during your career. It might have been a content fall. It might not have been, um, and it's where your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see a risk or an opportunity, and you were able to, uh, you know, move the uh, the organization in a new direction, uh, avoid some problem that uh, was seemed to be uh, lurking in the future, whatever it may have been. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, I thought of sharing something where I have actually been unsuccessful, um, but where I took a ton of learning that really has helped me level up my game as a CFO. Um, when I joined Zalando, um, Robert, one of the two founders, and I had agreed that I would build Zalando UK. And I would build it into the same size of a company that was Zalando Germany, the mother company. UK was a massive market to to capture. I was the MD for that market. We had a big vision. Um, and Zalando had a playbook. They had previously very successfully expanded into Austria and Switzerland. So we knew what to do. There was a ton of online marketing expertise in the team. Um, what I really learned with Zalando was this absolute focus on execution, on optimization, on data-driven decision-making, just in the spirit of other rocket internet companies. Yeah, Zalando used to be a rocket internet company. Um, so very execution-focused. Um, I've never seen or experienced something like that in such raw form. and But that wasn't enough to make the UK successful. I wasn't the right leader for that market. The UK seems to have already been penetrated, highly penetrated by lo other local players, ASOS or brick and mortar businesses that had figured out online Marks and Spencers, Debenhams, House of Fraser. So all of them had functioning online stores. You could even pick up stuff in store. That was like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, um, it was delivered materially faster than we could ship anything from Germany. So like all odds were against us. And uh, actually at some point we tried some other country managers on that country, like none of us really succeeded. I, I hope that they're doing better now in that market. But the things that I learned, um, and, and then I became CFO of Zalando subsidiaries, um, focused more on operations. Yeah, So I 
I learned this heavy focus on execution, on data. They 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 had a data driven decision making. I I try I like to modulate that toward data informed. Yeah, data driven is very on one end of the spectrum, um, and and constantly know uh, looking for how, what you can optimize and sort of a learner mindset, a growth mindset um, was very inherent in, in many people there. So I learned that I now know what I'm not good at. I'm not. Uh, a business development uh, focused country leader that can that can just hustle toward creating a, a large uh, market um, or, or expand in a in a large market. Um, I but I know what what excellent looked like excellent executions uh, execution looks like and um, that I always want to learn and improve. Similarly to many other people that I had met there, um, that you can have a playbook that you then execute uh, relentlessly. Um, you focus on things with a quantitative lens. Um, you collect as much data as you can possibly get. Um, relative to offline, that's a lot. Yeah, offline retail can't collect that much. Um, you let that data inform your decisions and you try to really be objective, not only about your decisions, but also the assumptions that go in and about the business results. So why I say that is what many people do is something called resulting. I don't know if you've come across resulting before. Um, resulting is when there is a successful outcome. Therefore, my assumptions and my decisions must have been the right ones, right? I get validated because of that successful outcome. False. Um, you'd, you might have been purely lucky. Um, so better go back and analyze if the assumptions upon which you based your decision on actually came true. If you, if you can show that what you modeled or what you thought um, the, the relevant input vectors would be, if those were right, then it's highly likely that the successful outcome is due to these things that you did or you thought would need it to be in place. Um, and especially managers, we managers, we often fall for resulting because it serves us. Yeah. So it's sort of like success uh, and failure. Failure is a, is, is, a, is a lonely child, or I don't know how you say that in English. Um, but uh, yeah, that, like watch out for that. Be mindful, be ruthlessly objective. Ask why more frequently than feels comfortable. Yeah. And if you do that over the long term, this will produce better results for the business. When we return, CFO Marcus Harder enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Uh, we're going to jump to what we refer to as our mentoring round, where we 
ask you to once more look back for us and uh, thinking back to that first time you stepped into a CFO role when you had all of that leadership responsibility and maybe that was uh, part of the uh, time you were just sharing with us, maybe not. Um, what is it that you, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, what would it be? I've, I've been pondering over how to, how to phrase that. Um, I, I came up with trust beats numbers. It's a bit like what Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's sort of numbers don't judge you. People do. Um, if you want to have good, healthy, meaty conversations and discussions focused on improving the status quo, you need to be able to build trust, build a team that is focused on the inputs, the outputs, the results, the, the problems at hand, and not on their ego or that uh, they look good in and, and shine. So if you have established a trusting relationship, pe people will make themselves much more vulnerable. They will explain why things didn't go according to plan, what struggles they foresee. Uh, without trust, they will just hide these issues um, because they think that uh, they will not look good. Um, so create that safe environment and you will be much more successful. We always like to ask uh, our guests to reflect a little on the personal side and share with us uh, whether they have a personal habit or a part of their daily routine that has in some way contributed, they feel, to their professional success. Any, anything come to mind? Yeah. And uh, Jack, if you don't mind, uh, it sounds bland. I'll give you a story about coffee. Yeah. But <laughs> you've got our attention. It's arguably one of my biggest career gambles. I don't mean like I need coffee in the morning to get me going. In fact, my secret is I, I hate coffee. I don't like coffee, but everybody at Contentful thinks that I'm the coffee connoisseur. So why is that? I, 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 I use coffee as a social experience. And, and so let's go to this big career gamble. Yeah. Contentful in Berlin was, is, is situated in an old warehouse building, yeah? thick brick walls, metal doors, small floor plates spread over tons of floors. And all these floors have little kitchens and little coffee machines had little coffee machines. So what I did, I said, we did, we never see each other. We never talk to each other. We create silos. The thing that we don't want to have with the CMS, we're creating physically right here. We're creating silos and people um, don't get to know each other. And, and this incidental communication, that water cooler talk doesn't happen. So let's create a central watering hole for the organization where everybody meets and incidental communication happens. So here's the gamble that I took. I basically ripped out the kitchens. I didn't stock them anymore. Yeah, my team didn't stock them anymore. Um, even my team, my workplace team thought I was crazy. Like employees will hate us, that we will make them walk four, down four floors just to get a, a cup of coffee. Um, what are you thinking? Like this will get you fired. So I did a lot of advocating and uh, we basically built it. We built a central, beautiful cafe with a coffee machine that you could probably find in any third wave coffee shop uh, in Berlin. Um, and um, for the first two weeks when we opened this cafe, we brought a professional barista, an Italian champion in coffee making, to teach us. Everybody got a one-hour training, a small groups of people got a one-hour training, um, how to make the right coffee, how to froth your milk well, and so forth. And so 
now whatever you want to drink a coffee a latte an espresso um there's either somebody there who has been to the training or who has trained somebody else you stand in line there's just one coffee machine you'd also imagine okay 300 people just one coffee machine how does that work but actually it works and people socialize in the line and um they it's a social experience that i celebrate every day every morning when i go to work i will be in this cafe for minimum one hour i will be approachable by everyone and um, i'm celebrating that coffee when i do one-on-ones we go to the cafe we make ourselves a coffee if you drink tea you can also make tea right um and uh we are in the open i am available i am there ask me something if you have some doubts some questions something you want to challenge me on whatever it is um and that being available really is is something that that this centralized cafe the coffee machine in it, it has made yeah so the coffee i would like to claim acts like the oil or the grease in a well functioning system called the company well done wow great great anecdote thank you we don't always think how important those social spaces are uh, maybe now we're we're beginning to understand better um we're up to uh, where we usually ask for a book selection. I don't think I mentioned up front we're going to put you on the spot like this, but uh, is there a book? Uh, it doesn't have to be a business book uh, that comes to mind. It is a business book. Um, it's called The Alliance by Reid Hoffman and some co-authors. Um, we actually had the whole management team read it. Um, it's about being quite explicit about the expectations toward the role you're hiring somebody for yeah so the book uses a term that they borrow from from the army called the tour of duty yeah so you and your employee agree on a tour of duty they do with you and you commit that in this tour um, it's an explicit agreement yeah that you help them transform their career and they help you transform the company so everything centers around trust everything centers around that contract for a limited period of time after which you both ask yourselves, okay, is this still the right role? Is there another tour of duty I can add? Do I want to have a different tour of duty? Can I have that in the company or not? So I find myself having conversations where I, some of my best employees, I say, it, I can, as the next tour of duty, I can offer you this type of tour. But I also can see that you probably should have that type of tour, but that you need to take somewhere else. I've just had that in one of the review calls. Uh, review conversations with one of my employees where I said, I love you and I want to spend the next two years with you. Until that, we have time to figure out what your next tour is. Otherwise, I will help you find another tour because you are such a star. Excellent. A great choice. We haven't had it before, so we're always pleased to get a new one added to our list. So thank you. And we're up to our final question where we ask you to look forward finally and share with us your priorities as CFO of Contentful over the next 12 months, what are those priorities? Yeah, so I continue to invest in a team. I continue to invest in automation and systems. I'm actually accelerating hiring at this point, and I'm getting Contentful ready for being a public company in a couple of years. That is sort of a North Star. It doesn't mean that we will go public, but a North Star that I'm instilling in my team because the quality of financials, the quality of insights, the quality of processes I want to see, see us have is that of a public company. Marcus Harder, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.